Forty years ago today, Mount St. Helens erupted, spewing a cloud of ash and smoke for hundreds of square miles and reshaping a Cascade Mountain ecosystem. But the May 18, 1980 explosion didn't come out of nowhere. It was preceded and followed by earthquakes and other smaller eruptions. Oregonian reporters covered it all. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, a conversation with former Oregonian reporter Julie Tripp about her close encounter with an eruption and how cans of fresca and beer played a major role in her escape. Tripp was a reporter for the paper for 30 years, much of that time as the personal finance columnist. We talked about the eruption, the mood in Portland before and after the volcanic event, and the parallels between that time and the COVID-19 crisis. Here's that conversation. Does it feel like 40 years ago now that Mount St. Helens erupted? Of course it doesn't. In some ways, it it does. I can remember when the mountain blew, I was out working in my yard, and my neighbor said, did you hear about the mountain, you know? And that just seems like yesterday. Then when I think about it, though, it was like three or four neighbors ago that lived in that house, you know, so. And this is here uh, in the Portland area, or where where were you living at the time? Yeah, right here. Same house. I Right on uh, in Alameda on Northeast 23rd. Now, you probably couldn't see the mountain from from that neck of the woods on a clear day, or could you? You had to go out in the street, but you could see the plume, Yeah, you know, because it was so huge. But uh, but you're right. No, I couldn't see the mountain. So you were out working in the garden. Um, it, it was May, so it was, it was time to, to do that sort of thing, right? Right. Um, what do you recall? What happened next? I mean, is that something where you, you drop what you're you doing? Know, I was trying to remember, uh, because uh, we had all been hoping that the mountain would blow, which in retrospect sounds like an awful thing to say, but it was so exciting. And we'd been, I even took a, plane trip around the mountain in a small plane when it was uh, poofing and burping and gurgling and doing all those things. And, um, you know, it was really exciting. We thought, wow, what if this thing goes, you know? And we wore buttons that showed pictures of the mountain and it said, go, (laughs) you know? And so we were, yeah, we were all hoping. So then when it happened on that Sunday morning, I thought, oh, wow, you know, and I can't remember if they called me into the office or not. They might have, but I did not go to the mountain that day. I went to the mountain later during one of the uh, other eruptions. Yeah. So uh, folks who weren't either alive or in the Portland area at that time, it wasn't like May 18th is when everything started, right? It started well before that. That's right. That's right. It started in like February and March. It start, It came to life and they started taking readings, you know, and they put their instruments up around the rim. And so they had and it kept making more rumblings and more rumblings and and steam and plumes, you know, poofs and stuff. And so you were a general assignment reporter at the time for the Oregonian. Right. Um, I'm assuming you didn't take a plane ride just for pleasure. That was for a work assignment? Well, um, as I recall, Lev Richards was uh, this uh, old guy that worked for the Oregonian for like a zillion years, (laughs) and he was a pilot. And in fact, a lot of the photographers were scared to fly with him because he was so old. You know, they thought, oh, my God, what if he has a heart attack or something? Well, they didn't have to worry because he was like one of the most fit guys on Earth. 
But anyway, so I was in his small plane with a couple other people. I think we, uh, I think we pulled some money for gas, and Lev took us up there to look. So this wasn't a work assignment. This was just I don't think so. No, I don't recall writing a story about it. I just remember being fairly excited about being able to see, you know, what was going on up there. So what do you recall from from that plane trip? The beauty of it and being quite close and it was doing some smoking at the time and we sort of zoomed in and then circled and I just remember how it was a beautiful blue sunny day and we weren't scared, you know, but then later, of course, and, you know, looking back on it, if it had gone, then we would have been toast, you know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it was both the before the during and the after and, and some of, um, after May 18th was when you did some of your pretty harrowing reporting, um, can you talk about your memories from going up to Cougar, really right there at the foot of the mountain after May 18th? Yeah, um, there were like five more eruptions after May 18th. And uh, the ashfall, because the, the plumes and the spurting out of stuff went miles into the air at the initial eruption, most of it went north, you know, and the whole north side of the mountains slid. So that was Seattle and Yakima's problem, you know, more or less. Mm -hmm. But then on this subsequent two things on May 25th and June 12th, um, when it had these big, huge eruptions of ash, and one of those days it rained, I'm not sure whether it was May 25th or June 12th, I think it was June 12th, where the rain and the ash created this kind of a rainfall that was like sludge. And mm. it, it just kind of kept coming down, and it was really something. But anyway, during right before that happened, Randy Wood, a photographer, and I were assigned to go up and cover the thing from the south side, and that's where Cougar is, and just this little tiny resort area. So we threw a few things in the car and went tearing up there. We got stopped right before at Woodland was a turnoff. So we went in and the cops stopped us and said, well, this road's closed and we're evacuating everybody. Well, everybody was holed up in this little restaurant. So we stayed there for a little while. And then we looked out and there weren't any anybody guarding the road so we decided well let's go a little further down the road (laughs) which we did well we made it all the way into cougar which was pretty stupid of us but um you know we thought we had a good story baby and then then it started really coming down hard in this ash and this rain and this cement stuff and so then we thought we got to get out of here and uh, there was one one poor dog was tied up to a tree and barking and howling, but nobody there. He, somebody just left him. They were so scared. And so we decided, okay, we'll get out of here. And we started tearing down the road to get back to, um, it was, I think it's called the Lewis River Road. Mm-hmm. And we were making a lot of time. And then the uh, circuits Uh, short circuits on the power lines and the power lines started to blow and they were uh, the lines were going uh, you know waving like snakes and it was it looked like fires were going to start and 
and then we couldn't see anymore because the windshield wipers got all clogged and every time they went across the windshield it would scratch the windshield and randy's camera equipment got all gritty and horrible you know and uh so anyway, and I had a six-pack of Fresca, and we had beer and Fresca, and I was putting both of those on the windshield. We were, it was sorry to lose the beer, but we, I, I hung out the window and put the stuff on the windshield, which kept the wipers going a little bit, and Randy was... A little lubricant. Yeah, a little lubricant. And uh, so anyway, then uh, we just, Randy just stomped on it. And we were probably going like 75 down this, uh, you know, Forest Service Road. And we, we got out of there okay. But, and we had, we were, of course, back then, it, you ever, we were marry, wearing masks. Everybody wore masks at that time. And that's what this time of, you know, when we're all wearing masks again, it really makes you think about the volcano too. So anyway, we made it out of there in one piece. But we were really scared you know we were scared we thought it was going to be another eruption and all the trees would come down like matchsticks just like they did on the north side yeah that must have been absolutely terrifying it was exciting and yeah it was scary but i just thought oh god what a great story you know <laughs> good thing you brought the the fresca <laughs> yeah yeah for sure i don't even know if they make that anymore. oh they do that yeah it's 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 a tasty beverage and apparently quite oh, okay. quite useful this would be a good yeah. advertisement for them uh do you remember right. do you remember uh what type of beer you had oh lord it must have been bud yeah this is uh 1980 <laughs> so this is kind of yeah you know this was just uh widmers were, ju were just getting started so we didn't have any you know beautiful brew like they make in portland now but then, you know, it went on this, uh, that asphalt really created problems in Portland. Uh, it got in everybody's gutters, it got in their driveways, and, and it was there. I still, every now and then when I lift something that hasn't been lifted, a rock or something like that, you can still find traces of that ash. And it was just like cement. Well, it's interesting. You live in the Alameda neighborhood, which is kind of this remnant of uh, the Missoula flood and the Alameda Ridge was created back in the day right and that's right and now yeah. you've got uh remnants of a, a different natural disaster yeah and it's probably in the it'll be like you know when they cut the soil bank and you can look to see all the different arrows yeah then there'll be a little tiny thin line for when this the ash fell i'm sure there was this the most up close and personal you got with the mountain then during that time uh yeah the flyover and then and then the cougar trip Right. Did you end up writing anything from the Cougar trip? Well, that's what I was trying to look up, and I couldn't get to my clips. I've got them on a CD, and um, I, I couldn't access them. So I think I must have written a story. I'm sure I did. I just Have you checked the archives? Or? I found stories of you uh, or Greg Noakes talking to you about, about the Fresca story. Oh, really? Yeah. So... Did I tell it the same? I hope you did. The beer, the <laughs> beer was maybe left out, so we got the we got the goods this time around. Okay. Good. That's good. <laughs> so, um, I mean, what did what did it did it smell or feel like to be up there in yeah, an erupting it did. volcano? Um, the smell of the ash was kind of a hmm, how do you a real earthy kind of dank minerally smell and i don't i'm sure i would recognize it again 
And then that, when we were driving out and so scared, there was also the smell of electric, you know, uh, hot wires, you know, that smell. Right. And then pine and evergreen smell. It was all kind of mixed in. You know, and I think smells are one of the most things that a person remembers and mm-hmm. for when you're recalling something. And I hadn't, until you asked that question, I hadn't really thought of that. But those are, those were the sensations. A few years back, we had the Eagle Creek Fire in the Columbia Gorge that really rained down ash uh, on the Portland area in a small scale, but still pretty noticeable in certain parts of the community. Was that on any level uh, compared to the Mount St. Helens eruption? Uh, you know, it was really quite different and mostly, gosh, my recollection of the Eagle Creek was just deep sorrow about what was happening up in my favorite hiking places up in the gorge. And that that kid that tossed the firecracker, at first, of course, we were all mad at him. And then I, and then I just, my heart went out to him and I thought, everybody's a stupid kid once, you know, and yeah. So I had a lot of mixed feelings, but I didn't really compare it to uh, Mount St. Helens. So we're talking from our respective homes through the internet now, as we do in these crazy times, which are really, it's a disaster. And, you know, it's actually qualified as a natural disaster in some respects, but is, of course, very different from Mount St. Helens. Mm -hmm. I mean, how are you absorbing those two events? Uh, Do they have any alignment or any commonalities at all? And we mentioned the masks earlier, but um, anything else that is some connective tissue between the eruption? No, except, you know, when you ask me the questions, I can see some things. Uh, People were asked to stay inside during this heavy ash fall because it was not, especially people that had asthma or any kind of breathing problem. It was bad. It was unhealthy. And, um, and then, I don't know, I could just remember getting out and trying to get the stuff off my driveway and off my plants and off everything. And all the neighbors were, you know, it was <laughs> really, it was kind of cool. But, uh, and that's kind of what's happening now. I mean, I still talk to all my neighbors just with some distancing, you know, so. How, how did the eruption change your relationship to the, to the mountains? that surround us or did it? Hmm. I have more respect for their power and for the fact that they look like they're sleeping, but that they can come back to life. You know, I've got a place over at Black Butte and I, I have this gorgeous view of the three sisters and Broken Top and, and I just look at them and love them. But I know that they're, they're powerful nature creatures, you know, so. That that would be the most. I'm not I'm not scared of them. I'm just in awe. Um, I found it interesting as a you know a cynical newspaper reporter to <laughs> to hear that before the mountain blew, cynical newspaper reporters were making jokes and egging it on and and making pins about it. That's uh, so that that was definitely the the talk of the newsroom before May 18th. Yes. Yeah, I'm, afraid, I'm sorry to say it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. some things never yeah, change. This one reporter, this one reporter was making these buttons and selling them, you know, a buck a piece, and it said "Go" on it, and with a big picture of Mount St. Helens. Uh, 
So these anniversaries come up, you know, every, every year, obviously uh, that's an anniversary, but these milestones of 10, 20, 25, 30, 40, I mean, do you think about the eruption on those days? This year I did, uh, because, uh, on TV and in the Oregonian, I saw we're looking for people who have stories or where were you when it happened, you know? And so, yes, I have done some thinking about it, but I, I don't think about it all the time. Well, um, Julie, let's take a break. And then I want to ask you a few questions about what it was like to be in the newsroom during that time, if that's okay. Sure. All right. So, Julie, these days we can file a story from anywhere. Um, what was it like during that era? Well, you had to find a phone, you know. Um, I think we may have had a few portable phones. I'm not sure when those came in. There were big honking things, you know, that he had. That, uh, but we didn't. I don't think we had one. We may have had one in the house we stayed at. We stayed overnight, a couple of nights up there. Now that I'm remembering, but uh, yeah, we had, so that's why we would go to the store and use the payphone there to phone in information. Okay. And um, Randy was always, you know, sometimes we would have runners for film and like a, a, a person would come up there and then Randy would give them, you know, five rolls of film and they'd rush it back and, yeah. Because nowadays you can just file everything, you know, with your computer. So you're writing on a notepad and then picking up a phone yeah. and writing on a notepad and having drips of water and ash fall on your notepad and trying to, you know, get it get it down so that you can remember some stuff and get some direct quotes from people. Were you going into the newsroom at the time or was there, uh, were people kind of working, waiting at home for a call and then hitting the field from there? Uh, everybody went into the newsroom on that Monday, on Sunday, a lot of people went in or got called in or just went in. And then on the Monday, everybody was there. We had full crews and they, you know, just dispersed us all to cover different areas. What else uh, do you recall from those days of things that stand out uh, covering that that huge story? Oh, and the Columbian was uh, in Vancouver was just doing a super job, and of course they lost a, a reporter and photographer. Um, and we, but we were trying to just get out there and get the best story we could, you know, and the, the fastest we could. Um, I just remember, you know, everybody was busting a gut trying to do the best job they could working with that team team of people from the oregonian was just uh it was just wonderful there everyone was pros everybody did what they were supposed to do and or beyond you know it was uh it was a real time it was great do you keep any mementos from that time when i was down in the basement the other day and i found my my blue mask that i wore that still had some ash on it and I've got a picture that Randy Wood took. Uh, it's a joke. He, he used to always uh, take these funny pictures and then put uh, crazy cap captions on them. And I found a couple of those pictures. 
So yeah, I do remember and have some some little mementos. So I would imagine you're not wearing your uh, Mount St. Helens mask to new seasons. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I've got kind of a cool uh, University of Oregon Ducks mask that I wear to new seasons. Oh, okay. I'm a, I'm a duck, yeah. duck as well, so good. got that Good in common. Well, um, I'm 36 years old and I grew up in, you know, in Southern Oregon, the ring of fire. Really? Where? Uh, Medford. Oh yeah. Okay. A tornado. Isn't that what it is? Black tornado, a whole different, uh, different type of natural disaster there. But you know, the ring of fire was this like, you know, this was part of, I vividly remember learning about the ring of fire and thinking about the ring of fire. All of the, you know, we live, oh, we sure. live in the ring of fire, uh, mm-hmm. not the Johnny cash version, but was this something that was, uh, discussed back then or was it not, a, not as much a part of the, our science reporter had been doing some interesting reporting on how we were all linked, you know, around the Pacific and, but we were all just amazed when the when Mount St. Helens started started coming to life, and then uh, the science stories were very everyone read them because we were just so interested. And of course, we didn't think at the time that we lived in a volcanic region, particularly, or an earthquake region and we had both those things the earthquakes started the eruption and yeah so anyway it was a real learning experience for us did that um plant the seed early on in in 1980 of hey you know we could have uh you know the big one uh not not the eruption but in, in an earthquake here, here in the portland area it was a, i think it was an early precursor to that and there's this great geology guy at PSU that was on top of all that kind of stuff and on uh, about the earthquakes Mm -hmm. and yeah and so he started bringing it up and about how we are a different kind of earthquake region than say San Francisco and the kind of liquefaction that might happen and that was all new you know as far as to the general public anyway so it's I think that I think that the earthquake the the uh, St. Helens eruption sort of started that, some of that. Okay. Did that guide your life at all? Did you prepare for an earthquake more because of St. Helens? No, but you know, uh, you know what I bought? I bought my whole family earthquake bags for Christmas. Mm. Those big things, you know, like for four days, you know, and it comes in a backpack. Yeah. And- so you, water and food and whatnot. So you said you weren't. I didn't get myself one. <laughs> Maybe, maybe this year. Um, so you, yeah. you said that you weren't so much scared as, as like in awe of the power of these volcanoes and kind of the natural beauty that we're surrounded with. Um, what about the COVID-19 situation? How, how are you handling that and everything we're going through now? Um, I think I'm handling it quite well. I, I live alone and I really always have, I have, uh, so it's not unusual for me uh, to be here. I, I don't feel lonely at all. And I talk to my friends and my family and my neighbors and I'm healthy and I take mild precautions. I'm not 
crazy about it, but I went to Freddy's today, wore my mask, mm. and bought my tomato plants, which are going to go in this this week. And yeah, I, life is sweet. I and uh, the other thing, um, I covered personal finance, of course, for years. Right. And I know that if I were still working, I would be doing a lot of handholding now for people who are worried about their finances and their retirement. And um, I would be reassuring to them and telling them, you know, not to sell everything and things will get better and things will come back. It's likely to take a while, though, this time. So, Yeah, for, for those folks uh, who, who might be in their mid-30s and having experienced both the Great Recession and now this and seen their... 401ks somebody like andrew <laughs> maybe some <laughs> some uh some podcast folks out there no it, it's uh just stay the course it seems like you've got a pretty steady attitude about things right well um good luck with the garden um you'll be working on that just like you were 40 years ago <laughs> that's right andrew thanks it's been great talking to you you're a good interviewer well i appreciate it and thanks thanks okay. for all your uh, expertise through the years Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you like what we're doing, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. Until next time.